haunting, scary stories—the channel that tells you scary stories. Dogman lifted my 300-pound barbell. As told to Peter Bernard, read by P.Q. River. Hey, P.Q. River and scary stories. I hope you get to read this one before Halloween because it's the true story of how me and some of my buddies saw an actual dogman back in the early 80s. And although I titled this email dogman lifted my 300 pound barbell he actually did more than lift it he destroyed a lot of my friends uncles well let me explain the situation first then i'll get back to exactly what we saw this steroid freak looking dogman do i heard your story of how you know that dogman wasn't a hoax from the later 80s because you saw it as a kid in the late 70s well that made me want to tell my story which happened a bit after that in the early 80s right after i had graduated school my two best friends from college and i borrowed money from our parents and opened the most surefire long-term kind of a business a record store If you're too young to know what a record store was, it was a place where people went to pay money for physical artifacts that contained scratchy versions of audio information you've all stolen electric copies of for free. People used to have a lot more respect for music when you used to have to pay to hear scratchy versions of it. And people used to even respect the guys that sold it. Two of us had groupies from the gig. The third of us was too smelly. Let's call him Henny for this story. Lenny, Stenny, and Henny. That was us. Basically, I'm Lenny. Stenny was a record nerd like us, but he was into weightlifting, and obviously he got the most girlfriends. I was your standard skinny record geek with long straight hair, and as I said before, Henny was disinterested in personal hygiene. He was... what. the PC term for it differently weighted? How do you politely say in the 21st century that someone was an immensely overweight dude? Henny was a guy in his own world, usually with one hand holding a comic book and the other hand shoving food in his mouth. He worshipped our muscular friend Stenny, whereas I got along with Stenny because we were intellectual equals with mutual respect. Anyway, we thought this would be the rest of our lives, selling stuff at a profit and having our pick of the cutest local women. These days, Stenny works part-time at Walmart and is on welfare to cover the rest of his bills, while I work in a really uptight office where my wife is one of my bosses. Henny passed away in the early 2000s, supposedly of natural causes, but I think he was trying to diet too fast and it weakened his system. But none of that matters, because in 1983, we were local gods, and in our minds, we always would be. The Evil Dead had come out on video, and we were selling it on VHS, I think, or Betamax, in the store. We had a small collection of movies we thought were cool on sale, like Obscure Horror or the few rock video things that were out by that time, but we loved The Evil Dead, and we ran it over and over in the store. 
Then one day, Stenny mentioned to us that the cabin in the movie looked just like his uncle's cabin upstate. We were like, no way! And after talking about it, we decided that it would be the most awesome place to celebrate Halloween that year. Stenny got the keys from his uncle, and we planned to shut the store down for a whole week, spending seven days up there in the woods telling each other scary stories. Like, do you know the story of how Frankenstein was written? Mary Shelley, Percy Shelley, Lord Byron all trapped in a mansion during a fierce storm. They had no TV or internet, so they told each other ghost stories and challenged each other to write the scariest story they could. Mary won the competition because her story wound up being Frankenstein. In 1983, we weren't beaten down middle-aged men yet. We were poets and timeless artists, so we decided we'd spend a week telling scary stories. Then, on the last day, on Halloween Day, we'd have to read a story we wrote ourselves and try to top each other. I'm going to write the great American scary story, I informed the others who insisted they were going to write the greater and greatest American scary stories. Nothing like competition to motivate would-be artists. Don't worry, I'm getting back to Dogman. None of the Dogman parts will make sense if I don't explain all this first. So we packed this very latest technology, a boombox with a cassette player. We also packed a VHS player and a box of horror movies, but we never used them, as I'll explain in a moment. So there we were, late October 1983, standing in the middle of the woods in front of this cabin that actually did look a lot like the cabin in The Evil Dead. And once we were actually there, I think Henny and I realized that being in the middle of the woods at a creepy-looking cabin is a far more intense experience than watching a movie about a creepy-looking cabin. Both of us openly expressed second thoughts and said we should turn around and head back home. Once we got inside, we felt even more strongly so. It was barely furnished, and as for sleeping arrangements, there was one bed, and there were two hammocks. Hammocks, strung between three poles that seemed to hold up the roof, at least for now. Not only that, but it was dirty inside there, like dusty. It was so dusty that when Henny and I caught sight of two brooms, we actually eagerly did physical labor, opening all the windows and the front doors and sweeping as much of the dust as we could outside as quickly as possible. There was running hot and cold water, so we were able to wash up afterward. But there was no refrigerator, and we discovered that the only way to get the electricity going was to run the very loud gas motor just outside the back window. We found the gas for it in the shed. It didn't look like it would provide more than maybe ten hours of electricity. That meant no video. There wasn't any TV anyway, so it was just out. We decided to only run the generator to recharge our batteries and to just make do in the dark. After all, we were up there to scare each other, right? Okay, so this next part is where Dogman first comes into it, although we didn't realize it at the time. Stenny called us out to the porch and pointed out that his uncle's barbell was left out there. He challenged us to see how much we could lift. He taught us how to clean and jerk. 
I could lift only like 150 or 160, but Henny surprised us all by lifting 175 and beating me. There was a pile of weights on the side, so we kept adding one more and one more to see how much we could lift, then how much two of us could lift. So each time we dropped the barbell, it would slam into the wooden porch loudly, and I swear, every time it slammed down, we would hear a howling, howling, howling from the woods. woods. Each time it happened, it seemed that the howling would either seem to come from a different direction, or maybe there were more than one of them howling at the same time. I mentioned it to the others, but they were having too much fun didn't care. We maxed out at 300 pounds, I think, which took both Henny and Steny to get up. When they slammed the weights down, that time the howling seemed to come from a whole lot closer. It didn't phase them, but now I was thoroughly spooked. I talked the other two into going back inside, and when we got back in, I shuddered all over. Something about that howling, how angry it had sounded, just utterly freaked me out. The sun was going down, and it was already dark inside this cabin with no electricity. I began arguing that we needed to get out of there right away. I pointed out that all we had to eat was beef jerky, trail mix, and whatever was in those ancient-looking cans in the pantry. I figured that argument would get Henny on my side at least, but Steny wanted to stay, and Henny's worship of Steny overruled even his hunger. Hen pointed out that he had also bought a box of Pop-Tarts, which were just as good untoasted, and the issue was settled. Steny broke out his uncle's oil lamp so at least we could see well enough to read spooky stories to each other. I felt a bit queasy from the combination of fear, adrenaline, a sense of foreboding, spicy beef jerky, sweet Pop-Tarts, and warm grape soda. We listened to Vincent Price's Magic Witchcraft album on cassette. It's basically a lecture about the persecution of witches through the years, but with the light fading outside and the howling continuing unabated, even this record was too frightening for me. I took the tape out and popped in some kind of music, something loud and upbeat. Both my friends protested, but that was fine with me, because a loud, heated discussion was a lot less creepy than sitting there listening to those wolves or coyotes or whatever they were circling us. Both guys decided I was ruining the mood, so they decided to crash out. Henny got the bed, because, well, figure it out for yourself. Steny and I took hammocks. Even though he had the best sleeping accommodations, Henny was jealous anyways. He started complaining that I wanted to sleep close to Steny because I worshipped him instead of having an intellectual relationship with him the way he did. Can you imagine? Wow, did that guy have things backwards. The argument distracted me from the fact that I was terrified, and soon we all drifted off to sleep. I don't know how long we were out, but I know we all woke up simultaneously as there was a sound outside so loud at first, I thought it was an explosion. All three of us got up and ran to the front windows of the cabin, where we saw that the shed was entirely wrecked. And there was a man standing there, staring away from us toward the shack, breathing really heavily, like he had just exerted himself. 
wasn't sure how and I wasn't sure what, but the guy had somehow thrown something into the shack and utterly destroyed it. The dude was barely illuminated by the moonlight, but I could see he was incredibly tall. Did you leave the gas in the shack, I asked? But the answer came from outside, as now there actually was an explosion. And the remains of the shack burst into flame, shooting up high into the sky. Standing between us and the fire, we could now see the man more clearly. He was hairy or he was wearing fur all over his body, at least. Then he turned around, and we could see he wasn't a man at all. He was a dog, but he was a dog that stood on his hind legs. He had to be some kind of prehistoric dog, though, because even on all fours, he would probably have been five feet tall. This was no greyhound. This was no thin-legged, graceful canine. This dog man was ripped. It had thick legs. It had muscular arms. It looked like a bodybuilder. It was far more ripped than our friend Steny. And when this giant, hairy, muscle-bound, bipedal monster dog turned his head to look through the windows at us, all three of us shrank down below the windows and hid from him. But not for long. As he charged the cabin, running straight for us. We scuttled like roaches into the shadows, each finding our own pathetic little hiding space. None of us would be safe if that creature came in here. Wham! The monster slammed the outside of the cabin with both hands. It stared in one of the windows, looking around in the darkness for us, and it screamed. was like a bark and a scream at the same time. It had its hands or paws or claws on either side of the window while it looked in, and then in between savage screams it would slam the wall with both hands and make the entire building shudder. I realized if it ever hit the glass it was looking through it would easily shatter and the wolf could then enter and eat all of us. Tiring of his view inside, the giant, man-like dog moved over to the other front window and began beating on that wall and screaming. I heard my friends crying, and I know I started trying to remember every prayer I could from when I was a kid and used to go to Sunday school. I couldn't get any of them right, so I just started making up my own prayers. I had never been so frightened in my life. I had no backup plan here, and obviously neither did either of my friends. There was no back door to this place, and the only way out was blocked by an impossible monster that couldn't actually exist. It screamed at us with the flames of the shed leaping into the sky behind us. I felt like we had literally gone to hell, and this was some kind of demon sent to torment us. I saw it disappear from the front of the house and heard Henny exclaim, It's gone! Before any of us could come out of our hiding spots, we all heard it beating the walls to the right of us, then behind us, then to the left of us, then there it was, back at the front window, looking angrier than before. It screamed! It screamed! The dogman screamed! <laughs> Thank you.
Sometimes things happen in our lives that are too much for our minds to handle. Sometimes the mind decides that the best thing to do is just take a nap. Usually your body goes to sleep at the same time, but there are times like this particular time when you may be sitting there, fully awake, yet at the same time you may be entirely absent from the scene, mentally and emotionally. I think that's what happened to me because after about an hour of being screamed at by a furiously angry, slobbering, foaming giant dog, I don't remember what happened next. I have entirely missing memories of what happened between them and when I suddenly noticed that it was morning. Birds were singing. Nobody was shouting or banging on the walls anymore. I looked out the front window and saw that the shed fire was out. The fire is out, I said, not sure if anyone was awake to hear me. I had no idea where the other two were. I walked out the front door and went over to the remains of the shed. In the midst of the wreckage, I saw, burned, a dark black, the barbell we had been playing with the day before. It still had all its weights on it. It was the barbell with the 300 pounds of weight on it. Why was it in the middle of the wrecked shed and how had it gotten burned like that? He threw it, said Stenny, as though reading my mind. I probably should have been surprised Stenny was there since I didn't hear him walk up. My mind was still on the barbell, though. He threw it, I asked. Monster, answered Stenny. That's how he started the fire. He threw the barbell into the shack. I started laughing. The bipedal dog threw the 300-pound barbell about 40 feet into the shack. (laughs) I laughed harder. I laughed so hard I cried. I noticed that my two buddies had tears in their eyes, too, but they weren't laughing. We never even discussed it. We just packed up and left. We had planned to be there six days more, but there was no discussion, and we just left. None of us ever wrote the great American scary story, as we had each planned to do. We had a Halloween party in the store instead. Where everyone got wasted, we met some new girls, and nobody talked about upright walking canine creatures or werewolves or dogmen or whatever you want to call that thing we saw. I still don't understand why it screamed at us and banged on the walls but never smashed the windows and came in and ate us. It's almost like it was challenging us to come out and fight it. Maybe it just wanted to intimidate us out of the area, but if so, why spend all night doing so? Didn't it need to eat? And didn't it need to hunt before it could eat? How could it do either if it spent all night screaming and barking at me and my friends and banging on the walls of our cabin? None of it makes any sense to me. I remember Stenny's opinion on why it acted that way was just that dogs have small brains. It was an idiot, he informed me, as though he were certain. That dog was a freaking idiot. Just because it was shaped like a man doesn't mean it could think like a man, he stated in a matter-of-fact fashion. But certainly, it could at least think like a dog. That was my counter-argument. Even a dog knows it has to eat. The dog wasted all night in anger, not ever eating anything or anyone. If Stenny was right, and this dog was an idiot... Even idiots know they have to eat. 
I remember something that Henny said before he died. He had a very different theory. Evil is a real thing, Henny told me. It exists in people, it exists as people, and it exists as that dogman. That's how Henny felt about it. He didn't see that monster as a dog or a wolf or as a man. He saw it for what it probably actually was. He saw it as the embodiment of evil itself. The end. Check out the audio podcast version of Scary Stories NYC, now available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and other popular podcatchers. Bigfoot Attacked My Tiny House. Scary Stories by Peter Bernard, Volume 1. Now available on Amazon in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook versions. Narrated by P.Q. Ribber and me, Madeline Starr. Forward by TV's famous Timothy Green Beckley, better known as Mr. UFO. And if there's anyone out there who can't get enough of PQ River, search in your favorite search engine for PQ River and you'll find plenty of podcasts, music, and weirdness. I'd like to take a moment to say that if you have a scary story you'd like to tell us here, you can write Peter at peterbernard.com or you can call our new Scary Stories hotline number and leave it to us in the form of a voicemail message. It's easy to remember. 804-LE-SCARY. That's 804-L-E-S-C-A-R-Y or... 804-537-2279.